0: This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Today on Dreamland, we have got an extraordinary guest. Uh, I say extraordinary, and you're going to agree with me in just a second when I tell you who we're talking to, sitting there, giving us that big smile from way down under in Australia. Uh, Drew is one of the subjects that is mentioned in the new book, Them. He is the person who, with his wife, spent over two hours in the dead of the night trying to keep something from dragging his soul out of his body. A long time ago now, it's probably been close to 40 years now, hasn't it, Drew?
1: 35 or 40, yep.
0: 35 or 40 years. Drew is an artist, and there will be links to his artwork uh, on the uh, website, and he sent me and Anne a painting of his years ago, and it was it is a magnificent painting of a of 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 land floating in the in the galaxies and in the stars. It's a beautiful thing. I don't have it here in California; it's in in Texas, but I do still have it, and it's a treasured possession. Now, Drew, let's let's weave back along the years, if you will, to those early days. And what were you doing with your life in those days?
1: I had just completed, um, well, I trained as a teacher, as an art teacher uh, at Melbourne um, Teachers College. And uh, I had resigned from teaching because I really only ever wanted to be an artist. And uh, I had, I was also interested in music. I'm still a professional musician, a keyboard player. And uh, at that stage in my life, I was working from home. Now we lived in, um, we lived in a rural community about 35 or 40 uh, kilometers northeast of Melbourne in the bush, uh, quite isolated. And, uh, I was uh, working full time as an artist from home while my wife at that stage was uh, teaching. She was also an art teacher and uh, my two children were um, uh, uh, students at the local little school of about 20 students. So here we are in the bush in our own home, uh, fairly isolated. I'm working as a full-time artist in the studio every day and occasionally going down to see my brother uh, closer to Melbourne who was um, a sound uh, technician uh, to do uh, studio recordings just for fun, basically.
0: So so you were basically uh an artist and uh, and a sort of a t- touching the music world how long had you been married at that point
1: We were married in 1970 so uh possibly um 20 years 15 or 20 years Now we had a you had had you had
0: any Anything happened to you before that, or your wife, that she mentioned to you, perhaps that was unusual, or it, any seeing anything flying in the sky unusual, or
1: anything. Oh, yeah. anything? <laughs> um, when I was uh, when I was at Melbourne Teachers College, the first time I became aware of um, uh, UPA or UFOs or whatever you want to call them was the famous West Hall. Um, high school incident where 250 students had a, uh, a source of land in their backyard. This is all a matter of record, and that was all hushed up. So that is one of the the most uh, um, amazing uh, and fully documented uh, multiple witness cases in the world. Uh Could Westall- tell us
0: a little bit more, going into a little bit more detail
1: here? Yes. Uh, okay. Westall High School... Um, there's right. an uh, uh, Australian high school uh, north, uh, northeast to uh, east of Melbourne in what is called the Dandenong Ranges. In 1966, students came tearing into the uh, the staff to um, say that it was a saucer outside, and the biology teacher who has been recently interviewed uh, said, "You've got to be joking," and didn't believe them. Eventually, went out. There was a saucer hovering about three metres off the ground in the school grounds. All the students, 250, were either looking through windows from classrooms or out on the, uh, the, the school yard. And one very, very brave girl approached the UFO and uh, came up very close. She was later taken to hospital with uh, serious uh, illness which is not mentioned, I assume, possibly radiation illness. Uh, two of the teachers, um, particularly one had a, a good SLR camera, was taking photographs uh, from inside through the window and um, the kids, kids were running around, some of them hysterical, some of them fascinated, some of them crying, um, and the whole thing was uh, completely covered up. While the UFO was uh, approaching the school, it must have been seen elsewhere because it already had five light aircraft circling around it in Dandenong, and they continued to circle the air, obviously fascinated. Uh, the pilots were fascinated and keeping an eye on it while this was all going on. So multiple witnesses. And um, eventually... Uh, Well, probably immediately the principal phoned the police. The police came. They said no one's to to speak about this to anyone. The the principal immediately held a a school uh, meeting and a staff meeting. He told the staff that if any of them mentioned it, they would be fired, Uh, that he was under pressure from the police. Eventually two men in very, very neat dark suits came in and said the same thing. Uh, Then the biology teacher who was interviewed recently and uh, talked about this day on, I saw this on Netflix only about a week ago, he said basically it wasn't so much the police or I suppose the men in black, it was the principal who was very, very frightened and just kept saying no one will mention this. However, it did appear in the local paper and anyone can look this up online, 1966, Westall, W-E-S-T-A-L-L, High School, Melbourne. It's an amazing case. Then, uh, later on, when I'd moved to the bush, I was uh, driving down a, a, a major um, uh, Melbourne freeway heading south, pulled up a set of lights where there were four lanes of traffic, and I was in the left-hand lane. There was cars parked me to the right because we're driving on the left, and then there was a, a median strip and two, uh, two mm. lots of cars coming opposite direction. I looked over to my left past my wife because I'm in the right hand side in Australia. Kids in the back. There were half a dozen shops which were set back about 60 meters from the road. You now, where you actually have to drive in and park near these shops. And above these shops rose a massive saucer, perhaps uh, anywhere between uh, I'm guessing 30 to 60 feet across. Uh, it was basically uh, your typical cigar shape. And, and it just, it, it, I said it rose, but in actual fact, it just appeared out of thin air. So it, it either came directly towards me at incredible speed so that it appeared just to, you know, come mm-hmm. out of nowhere or else it just went bang like that. When it appeared... The first thing which uh, I noticed, and being an artist and very observant, you know those sparklers you can get in light for parties, the little yeah, the stick? Yeah, sure. It was like it had a million orange sparklers over the whole surface of the hull. So the, the entire hull was radiating orange sparklers, or like an electrical field, if you might say. It, uh, <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> It hovered there for maybe a second, and then it turned pure bright white and shot off horizontal for the same height, which was just above um, uh, telephone poles and so on, light poles, shot off straight down this road directly south at an amazing speed. So it went from being this full size to just a dot of light in a split second. And over to. I always remember this on the right hand side of the oncoming traffic there was one telegraph pole and from my point of view in the uh, of my vision as it got uh, as it disappeared into miles and miles and miles away it did a vertical turn exactly parallel to this telegraph pole which how I know it was absolutely vertical without changing speed so it did that <clears throat> wow. and I was saying to my wife look at this look at this look at this and because um, I, it's like keeping a track on a golf ball. If you see it right from the first moment, you don't lose track of it. But it was difficult for anyone else to see it. And then when it got up into the heavens, I had this, I know this sounds crazy, but I had this incredible feeling that we are doing this just for you, Drew. And it started doing this amazing, um, just floating, having fun sort of, uh, so I went, and then went uh, da, 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 up through the stars and going, and that, that's when my wife finds it. She says, oh, yes, I can see it now. So <laughs> she says, I can see something moving. And I said, it's not just moving, it's doing a dance. And in my head was, this is just for you, Drew. We know you <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but that's how I felt.
0: No, that yeah. sense of, that sense or, or communication that it's, just for you is is not uncommon at all. It's no. Experience, no. Uh, especially not among people who are having an individual approach from a, a craft like that. Very often it, there's a sense and sometimes actually a voice in the head saying, this is just for you and the person is generally named, which gets me to <laughs> what the heck could you think we think is going on? And um, so you've got two incidents there. Now, was there ever anyone else earlier in your family who might have had experiences that they've mentioned to you?
1: My son Hayden, who was fiddling around setting up the volume here before, when he was very young, he used to uh, say he would, uh, I only found him doing this once, but he used to walk in his sleep. And when we asked him, we found him out, of course, we're in a remote area, we weren't in a, Public street, or anything, thing. We were on a three acres of land in the in the forest, and uh, I found found him coming in from outside where he'd been standing in the the car park <clears throat> outside the house at night. And uh, I knew I ne- shouldn't really wake him or alarm him. But in the next morning, you know, I ushered him back to bed. And the next morning, I said, "Can you remember what you were doing out there?" And he said, "I went out to see the rocket ship." And okay. he wasn't able to, because uh, he was very young, he would have been um, six or seven. He wouldn't have known about um, the term UFO or UAP or anything like that. Uh, and we never got to the bottom of that, but uh, he did sleepwalk a few times. And uh, <coughs> he, um, there's something I need to tell you that I didn't tell you when we first met, and that is that... Um I, I read, um, oh, what's his name, uh, Journeys Out of the Body and Far Journeys by what was the sound technician? Um, give me a second. Uh, oh, I haven't got it Did you? Anyway, I, I had been experimenting without a body travel, and I wondered, and I got to the stage where I was able to do it uh, at will. I had no, not very much control over what happened when I came out. It was random and not very important. But um, I wondered if I'd drawn attention to myself in some way at some different level.
0: When you when you went out, you, you were you talking about Robert Monroe. Yeah, thank you, Robert Monroe. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful man. Yeah. Drew and I, are folks, are about the same age, and we are. Oh, you're
1: two years older than me, mate.
0: <laughs> I'm three years <laughs> older than you. Well, I'm
1: so 76 he's a,
0: now. He's still a kid, but anyway. Kid or not, it, it, once you reach must pass past the age of seventy, you start to have these blocks on names. A lot of people do, and my doctor explained it to me that it, you panic when you try to remember a name because you're afraid you're not going to remember it, and that causes you to not remember it.
1: And I uh, couldn't find the page. In my <laughs> right,
0: exactly. So anyway, so it, you, I met Robert Monroe and. I've had a few out of body experiences, but the thing that interests me about yours is your ability to control it. Yeah, and when, when you went out, what did you do? Can you well, us-
1: the first the first thing, Whitley, that I discovered, and I I kept a dream diary and I kept a, an out of body diary because uh, it was two different, obviously, experiences. But once I left my body, I used the. Um, I used the Robert Munro method uh, called the uh, rollout method. Yeah, that was the one that worked for me, just one Yeah, yeah, I used to roll out to the left. And the very first time I did it, it was so real that I was still in the flesh. We we had a concrete floor underneath us. We hadn't at that stage uh, in the bedroom been able to afford a carpet or underfelt. I remember as I rolled out, the very first time I started coming down towards the floor, I thought, I'm going to break both kneecaps. And I got that far from the floor and I just stopped. And then I stood up and the whole room turned into like gold dust. I couldn't see my body on the bed. I could just see gold dust everywhere. And I was standing at the end of the bed, swaying, trying to look back at my body. And then I took off. But the thing, the first thing that I learned about out of body travel is that Thought is action. Yes. You must control the direction of your thoughts. Otherwise, you wind up doing a lot of random stuff, which is pretty much pointless. Yeah. Well, I must say that after, um, after a while using the Robert Munro technique that I was able to put myself into what he called the 10 state in seconds. I could lie down and use self-hypnosis just to speed up the whole process. You know, the more often I did, I could say, I'm going to go to the 10 state now, lie down and relax. But um, I had control about how and when I was going to leave my body. But I can tell you now, I had no control about what happened afterwards. I found myself in many strange and amazing circumstances, which obviously came about because I let my mind wander and I didn't stay on track. Tell I would us, have been a lousy remote viewer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about some of those those situations.
1: Okay, well, the first time we, we, had, we had a little clock uh, that had the flip over times, mm-hmm. not, not, not a digital, just had a little white tag that flipped over. So the very first time before I came out of my body, I looked across at this and I noted the time, and I actually wrote it down in my diary. Uh, At that stage I'd been trying for about three months without success and this was the first night that actually happened. So I uh, felt the vibrations come. I I asked them to speed up and then my whole vibrational rate changed. I came, I I wasn't quite sure whether I was in or out of my body so I reached my right arm out and I thought, oh, now I've blown it. I've blown it because I, I moved a part of my body. And then I proceeded to pass my right arm clean through my wife's torso and out the other side, <laughs> I'm lying in bed with my arm through my wife's torso going, holy cow, yeah. at least my arm is out. And then I brought my arm back in and, I, I, I as I said, I did the, then I did the rollout and I went looking for my father who had recently died, probably a, a bit of a hard ask. I wasn't successful with that. Now this is all gets very strange. Do you mind? <laughs> That's what we're here for. Um, so I found myself in a street with no street lighting, except for lanterns and uh, flames, I guess. And down and it was a cobbled street. It was night time, and there was an inn and the first thing I heard was singing in this inn, and they were singing Little Round Jug. Do you know that song? Sure. Okay, so a whole bar room was singing Little Round Jug, and I was some distance away, about um, maybe 150 metres, looking down a slight hill, hovering, and eventually a lady came out. And she was very well-dressed for, because I had the feeling that I might have been in some old English town back in the 18th or 17th or even 16th century. And she was wearing, uh, this is burned into my memory, she had, she had uh, slightly longer than shoulder-length natural auburn hair or red hair. She was beautiful uh, and she was just walking normally. She was wearing uh, an emerald green neck. Uh, to to toes uh, like corduroy or you know that sort of fabric gown, one piece gown, and she walked towards me, and I I hollered towards her, and I said, "Who are you?" And she said very distinctly, "She said, Drew, don't tell me you still don't know who I am." And then I did a few other things. I came back into my body. I sat my body up in bed because there's no change in consciousness. I noted the time that I'd been out for nearly two and a half hours uh, by the little click-over clock. And this is the interesting part. Remember this, I'd been out of my body for a long time. I got out of bed. I got into the corridor uh, outside our bedroom, and all I could feel was gravity. I could feel 14 pounds per square inch pressing down on every part of my body, and I walked up and down groaning saying, oh, I can't stand the weight! I can't stand the weight!" And every little ache and pain that I had in my body that I hadn't experienced for two and a half hours, I was fully aware of when I normally wouldn't be. And so... It's the only time in my life that I've been aware of the pressure of gravity because I've been floating for two and a half hours or God knows how long and I don't know where I've been. So the upshot of all that, Whitley, is that every time I came out of my body, unless I stayed totally and utterly focused, I was unable to achieve much of any value or certainly nothing was going to change my life other than the fact that I now know that anything and everything is possible.
0: Yeah. And what's, what is is the change? What caused that change in your attitude?
1: Good, Good question. Continued out-of-body travel, uh, other things that have happened in my life, which are, um, I don't know if I even should talk about because it's so far out.
0: No, that's why we're here. Go ahead and talk. Uh,
1: okay. Okay. Um, on one occasion uh, i was um uh, i had my lovely dog Wusty, uh, uh, a a kelpie collie cross uh, i was hooking her onto the chain and she just walked off as if she wasn't on the chain and she parted the chain and both ends of the chain dropped to, dropped, dropped to the ground but both links were still uh solid unbelievable
0: oh. A
1: dog she just really walked off. off and she just made those links disappear. And anyway, so I was out staying at my mother's and I said, Mum, Mum, come out, look at this, look at this, look at this. Oh, you won't believe what happened. She said, oh, you didn't tie it up, Pop. I said, no, 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 you don't get it. Look, these these two links, she she just made them disappear. So I hooked her up on another chain. Mum went back inside the kitchen making a cup of tea. And it was like the universe said to me, "Ah, you didn't believe it at that time. Check this out." She walked off again, and the next chain, she got, brought it up off the ground until it was level with her neck, and it did this, and the two ends of the chain dropped to the ground, and both links were untouched. So that was uh, a lesson for me in the term, uh, in the. the uh, there was a lesson of impossibility. Impossibilities do exist. Uh, yeah. And various things like that. I could go on. So I think you're a way to the impossible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Preparing the way, preparing. This was, this was, wisty, wisty, wisty. This was after I wrote to you. This was after I wrote to you. And um,
0: after you wrote me.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. L- long after because I didn't get this particular dog until after I'd written to you mm-hmm. um, and so many things like that and, and more UFO, excuse me, more UFO sightings. Um, one time I was out in the desert, I was employed, I beg the pardon, a close friend of mine was um, employed by the government to try and work out how to cull kangaroos in Australia because in one particular area the kangaroo population was getting immense. And uh, some people had, uh, uh, in the government had, um, in his particular department of lands or whatever it was, where he was quite high up, had suggested coming over with uh, helicopters and machine guns, which was immediately rejected. He came up with the idea of giving the... Um, try and a, a technique to give kangaroos the pill. To do that we needed to work out what their best feed was. So we went up into a desert area called the Little desert in Victoria. and this uh, uh, to Hattakol National Park, which is a vast uh, sand hill and uh, semi-arid park. And my job was to sit uh, and I can tell you when this was is was when Haley Comet appeared. Uh, and because I took oh, photographs of that. Haley Comet. Oh. Yeah, so I don't know the year, but it was Haley Comet was in the sky and was so easy to see in this desert with no artificial light. Now, my friend and I were the only people in the park, apart from the park ranger, and one uh, American tourist who had ridden in on, of all things, a, a, a push pushbike, a, a, a bicycle. He was camped. Near the um, the ranger's office at a little lake, there was no one else there. We said the uh, ranger, my friend knew the ranger, and he said, "Anyone else here in the park? The park is like hundreds and hundreds of square miles. Uh, you know, picture Yosemite, Yosemite or something like that, but desert." And uh, we were we were tasked with going out about thirty kilometres, uh, I'll be kind of about fifteen CDK Brown trip. about fifteen kilometers from the Rangers office and he assured us that there was no one else in the park. He there's only one way in, they had to come through him. He said, that guy over there in the tent, the American guy, that's him. So we got on the Land Rover and we got out. And we found a uh, a wonderful saucer shaped dish which was basically a donut of uh, sand dunes, big depression in the middle. Uh, the diameter would have been 60 to 100 metres and we put a steel stake in the middle and then we ran various other steel stakes out and we put 10 different feeds out, you know, from bran to grain to yeah. grass and grass hay and and so on. And my job was to sit there all night in a, uh, a little hide uh, and observe with binoculars uh, in starlight uh, what kangaroos came out and what was their preference and to take notes so that we could then add the, the, uh, the pill uh, to, to block a further births to that particular substance and then spread that through the, the park and other places where kangaroo populations were a problem. At one point, uh, my friend came to relieve me. I'd been there alone all night. Nothing had happened. As a matter of fact, I hadn't even seen more than a couple of kangaroos. And um, he pulled up, and now the ridge that I was on was uh, about five metres, about 15 or 16 feet higher than the car. So I had a good view, and I was looking down into this depression. I looked down at him, oh, uh, he's arrived, and uh, his name was Brian. That's all I need to tell you. So Brian had arrived. And he came up to me, trudged up the sand dune, and he said, "How's it going?" I said, "Oh, not much is happening." With which, a hundred metres away on the far side of the dune, a dome of light came out of the desert. Now, oh, this Lord. this guy was a scientist, and he didn't like what he saw. No, I bet he didn't. And the dome, it was came up like half a fishbowl and it was pure white light, and it rose to about 60 to 100 feet in the air, which meant that it was about 120 feet wide, and it was getting to about two-thirds of the size of this depression that we were observing. And he was stunned, and I was stunned. i have never seen anything like it. And then it gets better. And then it came down slowly, came down, and as it came down, it actually shrunk in. Uh, diameter as well as in height. Well, he ran down the slope, he got in his Land Rover and he drove around there and we're on walkie-talkies with each other. And he said, am I in it yet? And I said, you're right in the middle of where it is. He said, there's nothing here. He came back, he came up the sand dune again, he said, I don't know what's going on. So he then radioed, radioed, uh, this was about, four in the morning, he radioed the and got the uh, the uh, guy out of bed who was uh, the, uh, what did I call him, the uh, the ranger, got him out yeah. of bed and said, you are sure there's no one else here? And he explained, he said, we've just seen this massive light come up out of the desert like a huge bowl. And the guy said, no, no, you're it, there's no one there. We then, he hung up and we looked due north towards the Murray River which was still about ten or fifteen kilometers away, and about ten K away, another dome of light came
0: up. No my word.
1: And there it was it, we were elevated, there were no hills or mountains between us. This is flat desert landscape undulating. And it came up and it went down again in about 10, 15 seconds. And he got on the phone again and he said. You sure there's no one out here doing tests or anything like that? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> so in his mind, was great. someone doing some testing, even though he actually drove over the spot in a remote area where there was only us, and he's right. sitting over the spot where this had emanated from, and he still cannot get in his mind. And I don't understand no, that it's perfectly okay. He could he had to think of it as some scientist. So from then on, uh, we were told by the range, oh, it was probably swamp gas. I said, what bloody swamp?
0: And I was- <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, uh, the, uh, uh, the man who came up with swamp gas originally regretted that for the rest of his life, uh, and he thought that he had harmed the whole thing by using that term and causing the media to uh, – can latch on to it. And that's what happened to you. Uh, Drew, we need to take a break. We're going to take a brief break here, folks. Sure. Uh, We'll be right back. We're back with Drew Gregory. Uh, Drew Gregory's website is drewgregoryartist.com. And you will find a lot of marvelous material. He's a very, very good artist, obviously. And I have a question for you, Drew. Uh you've never done any art that was the only piece I've seen of yours that is the one you sent us uh that sort of has a space related or eerie kind of a theme you've never done any of that though
1: well yes I have that um the the work well I've been a bit slack and I haven't updated my website for about 10 years I think that still that's, that's says time, I've only man. had 50, 50 uh, solo exhibitions. I've had close to about 65 solo exhibitions now. Um, a lot of the early work that I did uh, on on uh, using the watercolour uh, on paper were um, quite surreal. Um, years and years of them, they're, they're not on my website.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, and then when I met you, I was going through a period of showing Australian outback floating through space because I was spending a lot of time alone in Australian outback on research uh, field trips and experiencing the night sky by myself to, with just a campfire hundreds of kilometres from the nearest other person, I guess. And uh, I started doing these series of paintings uh, where the sky was not only above me but all around me and below me as well. Yeah, that's what yeah. An island of uh, a peninsula of, of land uh, surrounded entirely by space. That's as close as I got to trying in any way, shape or form to convey the sorts of experiences that I'd had. I, I'm not one of these people who, you know, starts... Um, painting, this is my spirit guide, or whatever else. Right. I think that's wonderful that people can do that. Yeah. Uh, I I just a part, especially with the out of body travel, Whitley. A part of me, after a while, and I had some very very frightening experiences towards the end. A part of me said, Drew, I think you're just supposed to be living a normal life. Uh, and I don't think you're really supposed to be doing all this stuff uh it's there it happens anyone can do it but it's probably without knowing exactly what you're doing it's probably not safe if I'd been part of the uh the original uh, program uh by what was his name
0: uh, Robert Monroe,
1: <laughs> Robert Munro, and safely ensconced within that uh, university, and, and with all the safeguards they had in place, maybe a different matter.
0: Now, let me ask you this: You mentioned some frightening experiences. Uh, what, in terms of time, did these happen before the event we haven't discussed yet, but which we will discuss shortly, of being attempting to be someone attempting to pull you out of your body, or after? Or was that one of them? During, during, okay. During. So uh, let's go back to the uh, because I think that the out of body travel had something to do with all of this, and um, uh, I agree. Yeah, and you, so you you you're doing out of body travel, and can you tell us the first time you encountered? anyone else in that state, any other being or figure at all while you were out of the body?
1: Other than that lady who said, don't tell me you. um,
0: Yeah, other than that. I
1: don't know who I am. I still don't know who she is uh, or was. Okay. I believe from my very second experience when I came out of my body, that there is a layer very close to Earth, which is a really nasty, scary layer. And I was speaking with my son last night, and uh, he learned to do this uh, for a while until he gave up uh, the out-of-body travel. And we both had a similar experience. Uh, And we didn't tell each other, you know, until last night. Uh, Second time I came out of body, I was just coming out, and I had five of the scariest faces two inches from my face. I go all around me, like "Do not come out! Do, go back!" Yeah, they were—they were—they were, they yeah, were, they they were after you. They were from the worst horror film you ever saw. they were trying all to scare
0: you into staying in your body. Yeah, I, well, You're I not assume supposed so, to go out of our I assume
1: that was their realm because I. Uh, I would advise if anyone's coming out of their body to make sure they're thoroughly protected first. Did close. you go out anyway? I, I, not that night. <laughs> no, <laughs> I I think so. right. <laughs> what frightened me was how close they were. They were right, right here. You
0: know, and uh, wow. Uh,
1: n- none of them said anything. They went. And my son last night said that uh, the first or second time we came out of his body, a beam lowered itself over him and went <sighs> onto his face. And he said he could even smell the breath, which was frightening for him, and that he thought, that's it, I'm not going to come out tonight. <laughs> um, yeah, and, that, th- and then there were, I think... I now believe there are universal truths because if I've had an experience which I think is very, very weird and then at not beforehand but at a much later date I read about someone else or several other people in different circumstances having the exact same experience, I think, okay, maybe that's a universal truth that that I can accept that just doesn't happen to me, it happens to lots of people. And that gives me some starting point uh, for my own personal belief system. And one of those is the black dog because many, many years later when I was still coming out of my body and less frequently, it was mid-afternoon, as I said, we were an isolated part of the bush, miles from anyone, and uh, I was sitting up in there with my back against the wall and I'd relaxed. I got into the 10 state. I was just coming out of my body and... Uh, I had my eyes closed, but suddenly it—it it was like my eyes were open. It was afternoon, sun. There's a tree outside my door, and we I had a big set of bay windows. I built, I designed and built our entire family home single-handedly, and had these seven big bay windows, and that was my view. And as I was coming out of my body, a huge black dog, uh, like a Doberman, but double the size, launched itself at the window with its uh, lip curled back and its teeth bared and growling and just frightened me straight back into my body. Now, many, many years later, I heard of truck drivers who were falling asleep at the wheel and they were brought back onto the road by a huge black dog leaping onto their windscreen at speed and then
0: disappearing. Now, was this dog... uh in the physical world, when it you saw it, or I'm not quite sure where you.
1: Oh no no no! It, it when I when I was frightened back in my body, there was nothing there. There was not nothing. Well, I'm I'm
0: going to tell you a brief story, and I, I think I know who that dog was, and I think I know why he scared you. Um, I was um uh, doing I do meditation that you you may know my listeners certainly do every day three times a day at, uh, one in the afternoon and, uh, 11 at night and at three in the morning and have been doing for many years. And one afternoon, this is before I was doing it so regularly before Annie, when Annie was still with me physically, uh, I was doing it in the afternoon, one afternoon. And I suddenly saw a dog in my mind's eye, not, not, not in the physical world. And I recognized the dog. The dog was a dog called Quagmire, who had um, been um, the dog of the very, very unhappy, difficult life this dog had uh, when I was a boy. It not, it's not my dog, but a dog of some friends, or not our friends, but a dog in the neighborhood. Let me say, and um, this dog was the father of that family had ptsd he'd been badly roughed up in the korean war and that man would erupt in in anger and beat the dog up and stuff and but that dog despite his awful life was always happy he was always happy and here he came up to me 50 years later in this meditation wagging away and going on and i thought my god how, why am I thinking of Quagmire after all these years? And I mentioned it to Anne, the experience, and she said, Dog, God, you had a visit from God. And I thought, oh, no. I said, I, no, no, no. I said, no, no, no. I'd have to have a sign. And a half hour later, we went out walking, and there was a car with a, a personalized license plate sitting on the roadside, on the curb the personalized license plate read Q-G-M-I-R-E, Quagmire. (laughs) And I thought, oh, my God, I had a visit from God in the form of a dog called Quagmire. And Annie used to say, Annie knew these things. She said, Whitley, you find dogs and God visiting people in dogs all the time. And I think that was our own creator telling you, Drew, I'm I'm personally warning you, get the hell back in that body that I gave you and don't come wandering out here uh, because I'll get after you. Because I'm not meant to be. Yeah, it's not meant to be. You're you're supposed to be doing the physical right now. Um,
1: It scared me straight back into my body. It
0: was frightening. Oh, I bet it was. But beautiful, too, at the same time. And um, so... So, okay, now let's go on to that night. Uh, you, you, What were you doing bef- the night it happened, the night evil came into your life?
1: Right. I'd like, I like to get it straight from that, the, uh, right from the very start, but um, even though I'm a musician and an artist, I don't do drugs. I've had a puff of three marijuana in my life, I think, when it was passed around a room at the party. That was it. Right. <clears throat> my last my last alcohol was about a month ago. Oh, last I had a glass of red wine with my, my son and, and his partner last night. Because uh, I'm down in his studio down in Geelong at the moment because he's got he's actually a filmmaker and uh, editor and he's got the, well, he's, he's got me set up under lights. And you know, like you
0: mentioned your son a lot. He sounds like an awfully interesting
1: guy. But go, go yeah, ahead. he's very talented. Anyway, so um, I don't do drugs. Uh, I don't believe in polluting my body any more than I have to. So I, I have a social drink with my my partner, Eliza, lovely lady, uh, when we get together or if we have a meal. So no drugs, no alcohol. Uh, I'm pretty grounded. I'm pretty down to earth. Uh, very practical person. You know, I design and build our own house. Um, so... With my at that very amateurish uh, level of music, in, back in those days, my son had a uh, my my uh, my younger brother David had a, um, a recording studio, uh, Ten James Street, Pakenham. I remember that. Uh, he's no longer there, so it's not a, a, it's not a studio anymore. We went down there for a day and one evening, uh, two days and one evening, and. Um, we recorded two or three songs with another professional person who i picked up on the way. So we finished. The recordings were great. They were they're all mixed by my sound engineer, Little Brother. Uh, we had them in the can, so to speak. Uh, it was a 60-mile, 60 65-mile uh, trip back to uh, uh, our bush block, and uh Two thirds away in the journey, I dropped off the uh, guitarist. And then the uh, the singer actually lived in the same little town that we did. Not a town that we we didn't we had a we don't have a store or a post office or anything. We, we just have a, a hall and a fire brigade, that's it. And late at night, probably getting around about, I don't know, I can't remember. I would have put it in my letter for sure, but I can't tell you now. But late at night, maybe midnight. I dropped him off and came back along this very, very lonely tra- track towards our house, uh, travelling about two or three miles. I was in a wonderful state of mind. I was happy. I was content. I was looking forward to uh, playing the, the tapes uh, to my family the next day and because they were all three numbers, uh, I'd written myself. And uh, I got into bed very, very quietly because my wife was asleep. The kids were asleep across the hall. And uh, I remember I put my head on the pillow, and I ha- was having an imagine. No, I an imaginary conversation with someone. I was having. I was wide awake, but I was relaxed. I was having an imaginary conversation with a neighbor about something.
0: Well, now w- hold on a minute, Drew. First, we're going to take another break. And then I want to explore a little bit the imaginary conversation because it could be important. We'll be right back. Okay. We're talking to Drew, uh, his website, uh, Drew Gregory Artist, and you can dot co dot au. And uh, you can look at his wonderful artwork there. And now let's get back to this issue of, you had an imaginary. Who did you have an imaginary conversation with?
1: The imaginary conversation was with the sister of the guy that the singer who I just dropped off in our our little area. Our, our, it's not a town, just our area. Uh, and I dropped. I didn't see her when I dropped him off. He just got out of the car and said good night. <laughs> but I was just. I was just simply having a. A, a non-related conversation in my head with something else uh with his sister and uh that's all i can tell you i don't think so it was think just an ordinary in, it was just an ordinary it was a very ordinary, ordinary. conversation so you you you're it in, was but it was imagined it was you know it was just yeah
0: a, i understand yeah so it, we could conclude then that it was just incidental to the experience it, it was
1: totally incidental the fact yeah. that i remember it is because it became the worst couple of hours of my entire existence shortly after that. Right. So I'm, I'm actually in the middle of her and she's talking to me. She's re- replying to me in my head just this, you know, might have been about the weather, who knows, and my head exploded.
0: And last no, night as let, I No, wait, wait. In- you see, and my head exploded, and then you start to go on. But we, we need to know a little bit more about how that felt. Your head exploded. Okay. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more extensively in a moment because, but tell us exactly first what happened. You're lying in bed. You have put your head down on the. Okay. Bed.
1: Well, I was lying in bed. I was laying on my. This is important too. You'll, you'll see why it's important later on. I was laying on my left hand side. That's the side I lie on when. Only when I'm ready to go to sleep. So I normally lay on my back for a few seconds or a few minutes, and then I lie on my right hand side. And then when I feel that I'm dropping off to sleep, I lie on my left. On this particular occasion, I got into bed. I must have been tired. Uh, Been a long day's work, and I'd been driving for about an hour at night time and back roads and so on. I lay on my left hand side. Um, had only been on the pillow 30 seconds. I was having this conversation. Halfway through her replying to some inane question, Uh, I thought two things happened. Either a bomb had blown up our whole house or an aircraft had crashed through the roof and obliterated the house and everyone in it or something like that. And last night as I was laying in bed, I was trying to remember if there was actually the sound of an explosion. And I'm afraid I can't tell you. I can't remember. All that I know is that my head expanded into billions of pieces and suddenly I didn't exist. I was nowhere.
0: Now, this is an interesting thing because this is a... A phenomenon—it's uh, actually a medically known phenomenon called EHS, exploding head syndrome. According to the Cleveland Clinic, uh, it's a sleep disorder. Although it sounds painful, you feel no pain. You hear a loud noise or explosion in your head. The sound isn't heard by others. It happens as you're falling asleep or when waking up. It's harmless and not a sign of another serious health condition. Doesn't require treatment. Uh, But you notice that they don't describe exactly what happened to you. What they're describing is a sound, a loud bang in your head. And when you think about it, probably a lot of my listeners have heard that too. I've heard it too. But the (laughs) difference is this. I didn't disappear. I didn't feel like I had I had ceased to exist. I still was there. There was never a moment of feeling like I'd ceased to exist, just sort of a bang, you know, in my body. So you you, you had exploding head syndrome type two, where not only do you hear the sound, it appears that you yourself have completely dis- dissolved in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... At this point, you were lying there, or, and this explosion occurs. There's now, you're not
1: seeing anything. What, what exactly as you can tell you exactly what happened after that? I was in a state of shock, and then I wasn't in a state of shock because I no longer existed. So for, for, it's like, it's like when you have a general anesthetic. And you know that you've been nowhere for a while, but then you come back. So I came back. And as I came back, I was in a black, rushing space. I was floating. When you say rushing black,
0: space, when, when you say black, rushing space. I was,
1: I, I, all I could see was blackness, and I had the sensation of moving very, very fast through space. And that at the same time, what had been me was occupied by pure, utter evil. And I have to say, the events of later on the night, which we will get to, pale into insignificance compared to this moment.
0: You you are really, I can see it in your face, you're living back to that moment. And got the it shakes was,
1: already, yeah. It was, <laughs> well, I'm okay. I, I'm, I
0: hope you get a good night's sleep tonight. I, I <laughs> have to tell you the truth. Uh, now
1: it's, you have it's this, a, it's, it's so difficult to describe, but go on, please.
0: No, but but it did it feel like a personality or a yes, thing like did it have? Yes, a, it,
1: it was, it was, I became it. Drew didn't exist anymore. I was, I was the embodiment of all evil and I knew it. And I was now in charge of this body. And I, and the, the, the me within me had diminished to about 1%. And this evil thing, which was not an evil idea or a, a nasty person, this was. Evil incarnate, and I was it, and I was 99% it. And then that 1% of the me within me, which I knew was the original me, my soul, if you like, started fighting back. And the fight was, I guess, purely mental. Uh, and then I found myself in bed but laying on my back and immobile, unable to move. So you I'd lie. gone from lying on my left-hand side, I was now lying on my back and as I wrote in the letter, both my ears were filled with tears. I was lying perfectly on my back, both my ears were filled with tears so I'd been crying for a long, you long time. Crying. It sort of and as I turned my head to the right to try and um, when I finally was able to move a tiny bit of my body, which was my head, I was screaming and nothing was coming out, all the tears fell out of my right ear onto the pillow. So I reckon it – I don't know how long it takes – I know this sounds stupid, but I don't know how long it takes to fill both ears when you're laying on
0: your But well, you were crying a long time.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And you and, were uh, – does there any sense of passing time at all? No. No.
1: No, no, no. And did so, you- the, the black, the, sorry, the black rushing sensation of being in space and darkness and being fully, I became, I became, I became this evil entity. And that was the, and the emptiness in my own soul is that I would, it is nothing in this universe could be worse. Nothing. I can't imagine ever. Being able to go through that again, and but obviously some part of me had the power to be able to fight that and, and
0: come. Because down. that little part that was left, yeah. was good. It was a good man, a good being. Now, did this thing? Did you have any sense of a personality or a name or anything about it? But it was pleased. It was pleased. Pleased. It was pleased. You know, that's—I think—that might be the scariest thing I've ever heard in my life. That is, I mean, that I could see in your face—you're remembering how awful Drew. It was pleased, and you know, it's, people who he thought, thought it, they thought he thought it
1: needed, had succeeded. Yep,
0: yeah, but pe- people—I want to say this, folks: anyone who thinks this is a made up story and it's fiction as soon as you hear him say that of the his sense of it being pleased no one's going to make that up it's that happened to you and that happened and that's how it felt
1: wow and it was the worst however many seconds or minutes of my life and I wouldn't wish it on any any human being any any animal nothing
0: well, we're going to keep on keeping on. Uh, unfortunately, okay. the friend, the free part of the show is over, folks. So uh, I urge you, as always, to subscribe to Dreamland. It's absolutely unique in the world. No one else will ever have a show like this, this uh, because there isn't anyone out there but me who can actually interview someone like Drew like this because it's just nobody has the same mix of experience and knowledge that I do. So you really have, are hearing something extraordinary here. And but in any case those of you who listen, listen on the free side as always thank you and we'll be back next week. Okay, Drew. Now, this happens and you you it soon is gone. What how did it how did it did it, did it manage to leave your body?
1: I I fought back I guess mentally, there was, no, there was no way I could fight yeah, back spiritually, physically. Spiritually, so let's I, say, yeah. I fought back spiritually and that gave me the belief and I still have the belief that we have more power than we have any concept of. I don't think we human beings have any concept of how much power we actually have inside us. Um, it's
0: been somehow hidden from us.
1: Which yeah, we do have – well, I was able to fight what I, I assume was the source of all evil.
0: Yeah. I, and I, I, and I came out crazy. of it.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, so it's gone.
1: what has gone. You,
0: do, what do you do next? What happens next? Well, yeah,
1: I'm on my back and I'm cataleptic. Is it cataleptic or ca- ca- cataleptic?
0: Cataleptic. You can't move a muscle. You're frozen. I
1: can't move a muscle. I'm screaming, help, 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 screaming out for my wife, help me, help me, help me. Nothing's coming out. And then eventually I can get my lips to move and I'm saying, help me, help me. (laughs) And then I was able to turn my head to the right and all the tears fell out of my ear onto the pillow. I mention these things because what happened and, uh, and the tears thing is gives me some sense of how long this fight went on, maybe minutes. And then I, the uh, my little cries became real screams, and my wife woke up and what the hell's going on? I said <laughs> I just had the most terrible experience.
0: What did you and tell? I
1: was her? able to move. I was able to move again. Yeah.
0: What did you say to her?
1: I said that I, someone tried to take over my soul.
0: And how did she react to that?
1: She just said, you know, she gave me a cuddle and said, You okay? She was, she just been asleep. She was cool as cucumber. Yeah. And uh, I sat, we sat up in bed and I tried to explain. I said, It was not an out of body experience. I didn't get the vibrations. I didn't try and roll out of my body. I just was still awake. I was awake and I was snatched somewhere. And something took over my body, and I tried to explain it in the best way I could. And she said, um, "Okay, look, I've got to go and teach tomorrow, and you've got a you know, you've got a show, you've got to paint. Um, how about I go and get a cup of coffee, and we just sit in bed until you calm down a bit?" Yeah. And so she went out the kitchen. I stayed in bed, and I sat up, and I wasn't afraid at this point, but. I was jelly. Now, we live in an isolated bush block. We're on, we were on about three acres. It's the Australian bush. It's remote. If I ever heard a bump or a sound out in the middle of the night, I'd, I'd just get up when I was, I sleep uh, mostly naked or wear a T-shirt and that's it. I'd get up, I'd grab a shotgun or my rifle, I'd walk around the house in the middle of the night, absolutely fearless. I'm practical, strong, brave. But i tell you what, mate, when she was making the coffee in the kitchen, I was pure jelly and I could not have done anything to protect my family at that point. I was a mess. And and it shattered me to my very core, A, because I didn't think it was possible and B, because it had just happened. So I'm sitting up in bed, and she came back with a coffee, and we chatted a bit longer. And then we both said, "What's that noise? What's that noise?" And it was a loud humming started coming over the, the roof of the house. And uh, she said, "Oh, I think it's just I think it's just the hot water service coming." I said, "No, it's not the hot water service that." Pumps water onto the roof, you know, when it gets a bit hot and it yeah. goes sh- sh- onto the roof. A little um, our header tank on the roof. This was a, a humming like a, I won't say like a, a distant helicopter because that, that creates a distinct beat. This yeah. was just a, a humming like a, a consistent hum getting louder and louder. <clears throat> And then it stopped and getting closer and closer and then it stopped and it stopped directly above the bed, above the, well, that's what I felt anyway. And I was in this state completely, totally devastated. My whole strength turned to jelly and my wife was calm as a cucumber because she wasn't experiencing anything other than a sound over the The roof
0: of the house. Other than her husband having some kind of a conniption fit. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, I've been there and done that too, Drew. Uh, But it's good that the wife was there for you because Anne was there for me in the same way because she didn't have the experience. And, you know, I'd be turned into a jelly and she'd just be making tea. Exactly the same. I know exactly what you're talking about.
1: Because you were the target and I was the target and Anne and my wife weren't the targets
0: exactly so so then you hear this noise now it's still a, you still can hear the sound or is it gone silent still gone See, so it's just hang, hanging there above the house hanging in it
1: yeah yeah
0: and then what happened
1: then i felt a pull on my chest like on your like something pulling up. i was sitting up i was sitting up like I am now, head against the, the, the backrest of the, the bed, slightly, you know, back on a couple of pillows, and I felt from my chest this pull upwards. And uh, I I started screaming. <laughs> I'm, I'm so embarrassed because I didn't conduct myself in a very good manner that night. I was, well, uh,
0: you've already told us you were a brave man, and the fact that you're still coherent about this all these years later would suggest that that's true. So I wouldn't worry about it. I think you You did fine.
1: Well, I started screaming again because it was likely to come back, okay, first way didn't try, we're going to try a different way. And uh, let's see if this works. We'll get this bugger anyway. And uh, I started screaming. It's trying to pull me up. It's trying to pull me up. So, what is trying to pull you up? And I said, That sound over the roof, whatever it is, it's it's got me by the chest and it's pulling me up by the chest. And it got more and more powerful, but my body wasn't moving. But something was coming from here out of me, and I could feel I was losing it again. Uh, the me within me. And eventually I said. Can you get on top of me? Can you lie on top of me, please, please, lie on top of me?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I mean she wasn't involved, stage. and so you were trying anything you could.
1: Oh, and I there was, was a lot destined. of love
0: between the two of you, too, wasn't there? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So suddenly destined. there's a
0: there you you you're, you're encapsulated in
1: love in human love, and it's, it, cause yeah. then what happened? It it, 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 it uh, The moment she did that, it eased. Like cut the beam, if you like, and it eased, but I was still panicked. Was, boy, did was anything I. happen
0: to her? Did she feel anything? Nothing.
1: Nothing. She was she was totally concentrating on making sure that she was laying on top of me, face to face, had her arms around my neck, and saying, "Is that feeling better? Is that feeling better?" And I said, "Yes, yes, please don't get off." And eventually, got off. and came back.
0: It came back.
1: I was, I was, it, well, the, the the pulling section came came back. Oh my when god! When I closed my eyes, I saw a blue beam, but only if I closed my eyes, I saw a blue beam between my chest and the the ceiling, uh, like a a, a pale. Tra- I could see things through it, but a pale, transparent, like electric blue, you know, like like a gas flame, but but um, just pulling on me. But if I opened my eyes, it wasn't there. And I'm only telling you, I'm telling you everything I can remember, whether it makes any sense or not. Uh, you would imagine that if I opened my eyes, I'd see the blue beam, uh, but with my eyes closed was the only time I saw it. And then I, I didn't like seeing it, so I kept my eyes open. Uh, the pulling kept going. My wife kept jumping on top of me every time I started screaming, and then I remember me one stage I still had half touched. a cold coffee going.
0: Uh, let, me, let me ask you something. I want to take a – have you ever heard of a man no, known as Serge Monast? An, no. A reporter? Okay, well, Serge Monast was a reporter who died rather mysteriously at the age of 51 and he was a, uh, he, he believed that, that a project had been created by NASA and the United Nations that would create a new age religion that was led by the antichrist. And, uh, uh, it's all pretty crazy. But somewhere in that story is something very strange. And it is because you mentioned a Blue Beam that I bring it up. He said that this pr- plot was called Project Blue Beam. You're kidding. No, I'm not. <laughs> uh, now, that doesn't mean that his description. <laughs> of this is accurate or even that NASA is any, in any way involved whatsoever, but he knew something somewhere inside himself or really had heard something about a blue beam that does not have the best interests in, of mankind in, in in, at heart. And this blue beam can be used to do exactly what happened to you or nearly happened to you. So you were you were dealing with an ethereal, a non-physical presence that's very evil, and that somebody knows something very cockeyed about, but that evil does appear as a blue beam.
1: Bloody oh,
0: blood! It's a weird world, isn't it?
1: Well, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad we're having this conversation because. This is all very cathartic for me, and um, it's all very helpful. And uh, and it's helping others. Well, I think so. Point, more to the point. But let's
0: let's continue on with the narrative. Of course, before we do that, all of my listeners know this. Very few people don't know this. That NASA, but started uh, the originator of NASA. Uh, who originated the jet propulsion laboratory uh, was a black magician as well as being a rocket scientist. So there is an element of black magic in all of the American space program that they hate to hear about. They hate it, but it's, it's a scary combination. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's there. And it, it, NASA is in many ways an absolutely wonderful organization. has done a tremendous amount of good in the world. But that edge of darkness is still there somewhere. And people who kind of go over the edge, and I don't want you to go in that direction, by the way, Drew. You're too stable anyway. I wouldn't worry about it. When they're, when they're thinking about or working on this stuff can get in, get, get, really go down a rabbit hole, uh, as search did. But there's something, there's something there. It's not in focus. The blue beam isn't in focus yet. At least it, it, it was for you for a little while, but there's something there. And we don't know what it is, but you were, you were definitely being assaulted by an, a, a very negative, dark presence what do you think would have happened if it had succeeded go ahead and kind of riff on that you must have thought about that what if i what if the beam proved stronger and i was pulled out of my body by it
1: i think my wife might never have noticed the difference
0: i may have been supplanted
1: supplanted. Uh, i know i haven't been because i know i'm still good inside
0: well, if you read them, I I bring that very subject up. Were you supplanted and didn't know it? But you you've led a lovely life. You, I mean, there's nothing evil about you at all, Drew. So you you've Well know, oh, thanks. Yeah.
1: <laughs> thanks it's, for the vote of confidence. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's a night nice, I mean, you you're not a bad man. You haven't you haven't become a serial killer or a thief or not any, yet, <laughs> not <laughs> yet. But the point is this. You're you're a good man. You're the same good man you were before this happened. Therefore, I think we can safely conclude that you weren't supplanted. But what there's, we- a, cou- no. there's a
1: counterpoint to all this that happened much later. Can I tell you about that? Yeah, please just- do. Okay. Um, many years later, I know because uh, uh, I designed and built a new ensuite for our bedroom, and I was in the sh- the shower, and. I'd been relaxed, I was standing under the shower and I'd probably been in the shower a little bit too long because I was really enjoying the warmth and the heat and the relaxation. And I call this the point in my life which was the, the cosmic hiccup. And suddenly I've heard, suddenly I didn't know, suddenly I didn't know where I was. I didn't know who I was, didn't know where, who, why, how, anything. And then I heard, you know the voice you hear in your head, it's always the same voice. It's your voice. It's, it might not yep. sound the same. It's through a microphone, but it's your voice in your head. And then this other voice in my head said, where am I? And I'm still in my head, but this other voice I knew was me. But it wasn't my conscious everyday voice. This was the real me's voice. This was the me within me's voice. And it said, Where am I? And then it said, it didn't say, Oh, I'm Drew and I'm an artist, and blah, blah, blah. It said, That's right. I'm on a planet called Earth. And I'm currently occupying A human being's body. That's right, and then everything turned back. And that was the most, most wonderful moment in my life, which was the counterpoint to that terrible night, because I'd just been eavesdropping on my soul, going through a little cosmic hiccup, forgetting where it was and what it was doing. And I know that sounds crazy, but that's what happened.
0: What do you make of
1: it? I make of it that while that little conversation went on, I felt the greatest peace and happiness that I've ever felt.
0: You were in the presence of the good.
1: I was in the presence of the most beautiful part of myself. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, felt that, I felt that it it, 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 it was a – I felt in touch with infinity and I felt in touch with the whole of universe. I felt connected with everything and I felt an absolute peace beyond – I mean, I meditate too. Beyond any deepest meditation, this voice, this presence – that just for a moment went through a cosmic hic- hiccup and didn't know where it was or what it was doing, was the most calming, beautiful, ben- beneficial thing in my life. You know what? And I knew it was me. It was the eternal part of me.
0: It was when you talked about that little bit of you that was left when the, your body was filled with the evil. The, the, that was the, it. It.
1: It, is- it was the bit that did the fighting, not me. Right, it did the fighting to save itself.
0: And I think that every single one of us contains that. I think that's what we are as human beings. Oh, and incidentally, uh, I, I'm, I'm worried because I think I failed to mention the name of the founder of JPL during our discussion. I, but I can't remember for sure. So I'm just going to say it. And so i said it before, folks. I'm sorry, but it was Jack Parsons. I was talking about a man named Jack Parsons. who's was one of the founders of JPL and who was heavily involved in black magic. And I've always thought that that, that opened a door that, and that door cannot necessarily be closed, especially not by people who don't believe they have souls and who are living a completely secular life, which is to say most of the scientists who work for companies like or organizations like NASA, but you're different. You're aware of the presence of your soul. You feel your soul.
1: I, f- I, f- I feel. I feel honoured and and thrilled that I actually had positive proof as a as an eavesdropper on on my soul. Yes. It it was it was like I was eavesdropping on a conversation. It got lost for a moment. It went through this little hiccup. And where where am I? And it and it didn't didn't say oh I'm in such and such a town. Its first thick track was to which planet it was on, and then to which body it was in, and then it was oh yeah that's right yeah everything's cool back to normal. Well
0: you know but being in
1: the presence of it just thinking was the most wonderful moment of my life and it was the absolute counterbalance to what happened on the previous occasion
0: the ancient egyptians had in the very early days later it became filled with imagination in egyptian mythology and egyptian religion but in the very early days they saw the human being as having three parts uh one part was the body the second part was the ethereal or second body and that's what the part of you that would go out journeying when you yes, out body, of body. Yes, here, body, and the third part is a silent presence that the first two are attempting to feed with the life that you're living and the ancient Egyptians understood that what we now call the chakras they called the Tanitra were whirling places up and down the spine that would draw all of the life experience into and ex- uh, into the spine, and accelerate it as light, so that it would go to that third part, which was always silent, and never acted in the world in any way whatsoever. And uh, that was the part you got in touch with. It, it, that's what they would say anyway. And uh, we we exist here to draw experience into our bodies and then to, to give that experience like food made of
1: enrich, life. Enrich the soul.
0: Into to enrich the and soul. And
1: with the soul's development.
0: And it's, it's why it's so important to live a life of enrichment because nothing you do that isn't enriching the soul lasts. It all just disappears. And if you live a life in which you didn't enrich your soul, then, when you die, you disappear. You, you, you. There's no, there's no one there. There's nothing. We well, haven't
1: created the substance to keep going.
0: Yeah, there's no there, there. Um, and um, that's why Annie, after she passed away, I asked her what happens to the the evil people, and she said nothing. And that was what why what she meant. So, but you're here. You're working hard to create a good soul, and somebody tried to. Steal that, that right from you and try to replace you with something else and failed. This is absolutely twice. twice, exactly. Well, I don't think we quite finished that night. Uh, this went on now for hours with the thing up above you and your wife hanging on and you hanging on for dear life. How long did it last?
1: Well, in your book, uh, you said that it went on till dawn. It didn't go until dawn, but I think it went on from about 1 30 a.m. until about uh, four a.m.
0: Until about about an, hour before, about
1: an hour before, an hour and a half before dawn.
0: But it was it was a hell of a long time, anyway. It was.
1: I, I remember when we first spoke, when we met up all those years ago, that you said that the thing about my case that Anne had read, and wonderful her to read so many letters and collate them all over all those years. Uh, She said, uh, or you both said, that uh, the thing that struck you most was about the the length of this attempt. It was like they, it, them were not going to give up easily. And I wasn't going to give up easily because I had everything to lose.
0: And I was prepared to put my wife
1: in harm's way to save me. Well, that was the most selfish act of my life, but I knew that, she wasn't affected. Every time she lay on top of me, she didn't feel anything. Yeah. But it, it, um, well, she hadn't been, it, it is her. what I was going through.
0: She hadn't been a, being a juvenile delinquent and going out of her body and things like that either. So she was okay.
1: <laughs> well, I guess I, I consciously and uh, physically put myself in harm's way inadvertently from uh, my interest in astral traveling and, It's just something that always fascinated me and I always knew there was something more to life than just my physical body and I wanted to explore those realms. But I was only exploring the the astral realm or the, the ethereal body. I wasn't and couldn't experience directly what the soul did or what it was or where it was. I mean, science still doesn't know where our mind is. No. I think there's beginning to say, well, it's not necessarily connected to the brain anymore. That it could be out here, connected universally to everything. Um, and I don't know if there's a, a connection between mind and soul or, or, or all that sort of thing. But I was, I was. I'm, I'm a very inquisitive person, and let's face it: if something really weird happens to you, the first thing you want to do is explore it and find out what the hell went on. And of so course, you read books, and you, you know, like, like you've done.
0: Yeah, same, same here. I agree completely. So, now let's say, let me ask you this: you came across, tell me the story of coming across communion and how that all fell together. The book. Um, right?
1: We were in a camping holiday up on the uh, the East Australian coast on the beach, and, I, and my little brother, who was a sound engineer, his wife had bought um, your book. And we were camped together for 10 days on the beach surfing. I'm a mad keen uh, body surfer. And um, she said, oh, I've just finished this amazing book. And I said, oh, can I read it? And I read the book. Was absolutely fascinated, and it helped me immensely because I thought, "Here's someone else is going through much you you much worse than me, but has gone through some very strange stuff." And uh, then I got to the end of the book and saw that there was an address that I could actually write to. Yeah, and then I became one of those many, many thousands of people who inundated right. you know, your mailboxes with. Uh, you know, all those right. legends and experiences.
0: And there was this little five-foot-five five woman sitting there on the other end of that of those letters, ripping them open and reading them all. And yours is one of the ones that she put off to the right instead of the left. The ones to the left were all letters. They're all similar. Mr. Strieber, thank you so much. And this is such an extraordinary book, and this has really helped me. Then those were wonderful to get. And But off to the right went the ones with complex experiences, of which yours was certainly one, Drew. And it is such an incredible joy to talk together after all of these years, to sit down and with all of this wonderful new technology, to easily, across half a world and a, and a dateline, to sit together and have this wonderful, warm, and extraordinary extraordinarily informative conversation and you know i have to say that people complain about the internet all the time and this if it hadn't been for the internet and the people who tinkered stream yard together and so forth we could never have done this and mm. i think this is an extremely precious experience for me so me too yeah a good man folks Is hard to keep down, and uh, (laughs) and they tried hard to steal him, steal his soul, to get hold of his body and everything else. The blue beam had to go home in the end, and we all have to be very strong because this is getting closer to us. It isn't going to be easy, and it is going to test us more and more. And we are here to pass that test. And there, over there, is the guy who's telling us with that big smile of his, yes, you can. You can pass the test. We can We can make this whole business of contact work for us. It won't be easy, but if we can take it, there is a new world waiting group. Thank you so much for being with us on Dreamland.
1: You're welcome, and I'd like to thank you for the years and years of work that you and Anne put into all this subject matter, and I hope that one day someone, somewhere, perhaps yourself, can make absolute sense of it, and thank you Thank you
0: You've been listening to Dreamland Be sure to tune in again next week Dreamland is brought to you by unknowncountry.com and its family of subscribers Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Strieber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.